This episode of Wishers Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Couldn't do it without you every single week. We get to do this podcast because you guys support us, and seriously, it makes the world a difference. We got some new shirts coming out this summer. Cup of Cocoa, Capacaco shirts. Going to get on designing those pretty soon. And also, this podcast is sponsored by... Should I, like, stream Twitch? I don't know. I was thinking about it recently. I might stream some games on Twitch. Maybe you can come watch me. I'll post on my Twitter, Orion Mead. All right, let's get to the show. Got Moret Atesh. Talk some Jets and uh, Kevin Hayes, tra- Hayes trade. Talk some Capacaco. Me being in Vegas. Some other stuff. Here we go. Hey, Bush Rebecca fans, welcome to another week of the Bush Rebecca I am your host, Ryan Mead, an avid Caco 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 supporter. I'm here with my co host, as always, Greg Kappel. And Greg, say hello. Stop saying hi to strangers, Ryan. What's rule number one okay. that you learn as a child? Well, listen, if you're walking towards me and Caco Caco has scored a hat trick within the past two days I'm, and you're wearing Rangers attire, I'm going to scream at you, Caco Caco. And if you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, there's something wrong with you. It's not me. It's a you problem. No, no, no. Well, some of it, some of it is you because I know how you sound well, when you get excited. So you probably at you in your head, you definitely <laughs> thought you said capo caco. Yeah. But what that guy probably heard was Ha-ha-ha! I said, and he was well, just uh, like, "What is this psychopath I, I, doing?" I'll do an impression. I'll do an impression. I said capo caco, and then he was like, uh, "No, huh? you, that's what you think you said. Uh-huh. That's what you think you said." But if you were walking, if you were walking by me, looking me in the dead in the eyes, and did something to the extent of, ha, 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 I would have thought he clarified by me. saying, huh? And I went, Cabo Caco? <laughs> like it is slower. No, at, that, at that point, at that point, I just, first of all, yes, airports, yep. they all suck. Even the nicest of airports fucking suck. The last thing I want to do in an airport is interact with any human being, let alone any of the human beings that possibly are on my flight. I'm not asking, flight, for, I'm not asking for a lot here. I'm asking for a head nod or taking our shirts off and hugging. That's it. I'm you, just you, if, if a stranger did that to me, if someone did that to me, anyone who listens to this podcast yes. and they go cavalcado cackle to me, the nicest thing you'd probably get from me is a thumbs up. Okay. In all likelihood, I'm probably pretending that I didn't hear you because I just in an airport specifically, I don't want to interact with anyone. I, I so will I, I'm say team, I'm team no interaction. I will immediately respond back to you. I will hug you, high five you, and sign your t-shirt if you'd like. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> the guy did like sit next to me like when we were waiting, like not very close, but he did like give me a couple looks, and I was like, yeah, no, I get it. I understand. And then we boarded in the same group, and I was very worried we were going to be sitting next to each other. We were not, though, thank God. Also, shout out to JetBlue. Not an official sponsor, but free Wi-Fi and direct TV on a flight is super clutch. Like absolutely, yeah. Flying, flying JetBlue, and then trying to fly another airline domestically here in the U.S. that doesn't have TV. It's tough. It's Dude, a tough look. The free Wi-Fi and being able to watch the NBA Game Sevens and Overwatch League on ABC at the same flight it was a great time. I had a nice time. Anyway, yeah. I do want some, for some reason JetBlue uh, does direct from Savannah to New York. So anytime I was coming to New York, I was flying JetBlue, and it. it couldn't have been a greater experience. So shout out to you, Jeff Blue. I want to speak quickly about Vegas, and then we'll, okay. we'll get some it's more. It's a shithole. It, it is, yeah. Um, there, there's it's more. Exp- not, not just a shithole. It's a shithole that charges you thirty bucks to be a shithole. Okay, 
I got like a chicken sandwich and it was $22. Not the point of the story because I have a lot of stuff to – we'll get to the Ranger stuff, everyone. Okay, I promise. Capo Caco is coming. I'm, I'm pulling a Greg and talking about my version of the Mets, which is food. So um, I, I bought a chicken sandwich. It was $22. Not the point of the story. My point of the story is actually hockey-related. It's that when I was there, it was impossible to escape the Golden Knights. Like – Every single store had a Golden Knights jersey. There was Golden Knights stickers everywhere. Golden Knights everywhere on the strip. I was sort of jealous that the Rangers don't really have that in New York City. And I feel like we're absolutely sheltered because we are very deep down. And this is my personal opinion on the relevancy scale of New York sports. Uh, Am I correct in thinking that? I don't think it's fair to compare it to Vegas because Vegas has one thing right now. They'll have the Raiders soon, but they don't. I saw the Raiders stadium. It is, it's getting there. Yeah. So right now all they have are the golden Knights and all they've had the golden Knights for is two years. They're still firmly in the honeymoon phase. There will come a time where, I mean, especially if the golden Knights ever have a bad streak where Vegas won't love the golden Knights like they do right now. And it's, it's different because New York, you have so many options. And it's not just that you have so many options. It's that you've had all these options for generations, all right? The, our grandfathers who, you know, I know mine. You don't know yours. It's well, I fine. did. He, he's it's dead now. Listen, I read his obituary, okay? <laughs> like, I did read it. But they've, they've followed the same team that we're following, right? It's a different version of it, but it's still there. Like, my dad's a Met fan because my grandfather – was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, and when they moved, he didn't want to root for anything but a National League team in New York, so he waited for the Mets. Like, it, it'd be different if the, if the Rangers were a two-year-old franchise. The entire city would be responding to them a little differently. But at the same time, New York is a different market. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are so much better than the Knicks. They're, they're incredibly better. They're better run. Outside of the stupid Celtics trade, that's an organization that knows what the fuck it's doing. And yet New York doesn't give a fuck about them because for the longest time, we've had so many other options, even with how bad the Knicks are. We still don't give a fuck about the Nets because they're the Knicks and they're our team and they've been our team and they will be our team. And if they're ever good again, you're going to see the city explode. I think it, I think some of it is recency bias because the Rangers haven't been good that you, you're not seeing the love there for the Rangers. It's still there. It's just we're New Yorkers. We have other things to do. We will show you love when it's necessary, but outside of the rabid fan base that we communicate with on a daily basis, I don't think New Yorkers have other shit going on. In Vegas, it's the Golden Knights. And if it's not the Golden Knights, it's gambling. And if it's not gambling, it's whatever the fuck else you do in Vegas. I don't know. I got charged $26 for a Long Island iced tea in Vegas, and I said right then that I'm never coming back. And I'm not. I'm good. There are, there are casinos here in New York. I, and I'm getting gambling in August. I'm I know. Very excited. I heard that's an absolute issue for us. I mean, you. Um, so uh, I do. I kind of want to expand on what you said. And I, I agree with your point there. But I do want to live in a world eventually where the Rangers are sort of like a dynasty. Man, that would be nice, wouldn't it? And similar to where the Chicago Blackhawks sort of took over Chicago. Whereas if you go to Chicago, it's, again, hard to avoid the Blackhawks because they've won so much. And because people love winning teams. When you go to the Chicago airport, there's literally a Blackhawks bar. There's no Ranger bar in JFK. That doesn't happen. So I just want to live in that world is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just jealous. I'm just want to, I don't want it to vent, use you as therapy, get that out there. Now, the real. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I just don't see it that way. 
The real question I is, feel like, is, is it weird to yeah. eat at the same restaurant two nights in a row? No. Okay. Hell no. If the restaurant's good, who gives a shit? It's just, it was called Nacho Daddy, and it had amazing okay. nachos. Like, incredible yeah, so nachos good, good and margaritas. I, I went twice. I know you wouldn't care, but I just, I felt weird. And I, the waitress saw me, like the one cute waitress. She like, the only person that was working two nights in a row was her. She saw me and like shook her head a little bit. Like, you came back, you're in Vegas, and you're eating at this nacho place for the second time in a row, you shithead. And I nodded and agreed. And I continued to eat nachos. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm firmly a... Uh... I mean, you, you know this about me, but if I find a place I like, like I'm good, I, I sure I will eventually find, find another place I like, but I know I like this place. I know it makes me feel a certain way. I know it's going to fill my appetite. So yeah, if, if a second straight night and I need to eat out, if I'm somewhere, fuck it. I don't need to adventure. I already adventured and I found this spot and this spot was good. So I'm just going to keep coming back to this spot. I just want to give a shout out to the two ladies who stole my nachos. Like the guy delivered them to where I was sitting at the bar and the two ladies just took it thinking it was theirs. Because of them, I got free nachos and a drink. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's talk about uh, what everyone actually wants us to talk about now that we're eight minutes into the podcast. Okay. There's this guy. His name's Capo Caco. I may have screamed it at you. And he is playing quite good hockey. He scored, uh, what was it, five goals this weekend in the uh, – Five goals in two games. Yeah. Five goals in his first – he didn't score today, though. No, he did Shame not. Shame on him. Shame. Uh, honestly, what would have happened if Capo scored today? Like, what if uh, – like against, against Jack Hughes? Yeah, because I was thinking about it, and the six of the top eight posts on the Reddit Hockey Forum this weekend was Capo Caco. So – uh, if he scored against Jack Hughes, I can only imagine the the hype and hysteria that would have happened because people are where everyone's falling for the hype. And listen, I saw a lot of debate on the Twitters this week. I'm sure you did too, Greg. We're in the best position ever. We either get Jack Hughes or get Capocaco. One might be better than the other. Doesn't matter to us. We're picking one. I'm so invested in Capocaco so much that I call him my nick his nickname KK. Um, <laughs> we just agree on things, you know, and KK and I, we get along really deeply. I'm going to buy his Jersey. We're going to fall in love. We're going to run away together and, uh, we're going to finish in Finland. And that's, that's really where we're going to end up. And to watch him play, to watch his feet move, to watch him score. And so to, to get to NHL talent already has made me so confident in this player going forward that I would be a little sad, like just a little bit. We're not talking devastated. I'd be fine if we got Jack Hughes. Life is okay, and life goes on. But I'm emotionally, I gotta be honest, my claws are deep inside. Well, on his, they're on his arm, not deep inside of him. Let's go ahead to that one. Two quick, two quick things, though. Go ahead. One, player of the game in the U.S.-Finland game, a uh, certain defenseman by the name of Brady Shea, who scored the first goal of the game in the first minute. Hey. So shout out to Brady Shea. Who, guys, it's so surprising. Brady Shea looks like a good defenseman when he's, one, playing with a capable defensive pairing partner, and, two, not playing in a Lindy Ruff defensive system. Crazy <laughs> you know, how those two things can make him seem like a better hockey player. You don't say. Incredible. Yeah. So maybe all Brady Shea needs is to play with a capable person and not play under Lindy Ruff. Let's try it. See what happens. If it doesn't work, we regroup. Great. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way. You know what I would like more than getting Capo Caco at number two overall? Oh, I would love to Wait, get... hold on. Do I, can I yeah. guess? No. No. Oh. It was a rhetorical question. I don't want to hear from you. Okay. The only thing at number two I would like more than Capo Caco is Jack Hughes with a chip on his shoulder. Mm. Are you? I want Jack Hughes thinking 365 days a year, every time he takes the ice, he's like, the New Jersey fucking devils, 
knew that I was the best prospect in hockey for two years before my draft. And they saw Capo Caco play one world championship and thought he was better than me. Jack Hughes, American, <laughs> American. Fuck them. I would, I would love Jack Hughes with the chip on his shoulder. In fact, Ryan, I'm going to say something unpopular right now. No, don't do it. Gregory, stop. I'd rather have chip on my shoulder Jack Hughes than Capo Caco. It's not, that's not unpopular. I think that, there was no, only – not unpopular. You know what's <laughs> not unpopular, Ryan? He's the better player. So you would like to have the better player, right? Yeah, he probably it's, is the better player. We're, we're talking ourselves – people are talking themselves into Capo Caco, and I love it because it's great. And whatever happens at one and two, the Devils-Rangers rivalry is back on 100%. Because fan bases are just going to shove each other's players down each other's throats. It's going to be great. Devils and Ranger Jeff, games are going to be sold out like immediately this year. Every conversation we have with our buddy Jeff, he's going to start off with whoever the Devils pick, and we're just going to say "fuck you," whoever the Rangers pick. Like that's our conversation. It's with just our good so friend. much more fun to say Capocaco. Like it's, it's it is more fun, but uh, just. We're overthinking it, guys. Like, I'm not saying that there's a Grand Canyon-sized gap between Jack Hughes and Capocaco. It's not. It's close. At the same time, there's clearly a one, and there's clearly a two. And they're both going to be good. There's a potential that both are special. And it's going to be fun, whichever. The reason why it's great to have the second pick is because the Devils have to make the choice, right? Mm -hmm. The Devils have to plant their flag. They have to say, this is my guy. We're confident he's going to be better than the other guy. This is the guy we want to build around. This is it. And all the Rangers have to do is, dope. This flag, pretty fucking good. We're going to take that one. <laughs> they don't have to do shit. Uh, let's make the, this, all the Rangers have to do is scout at 20. Let's That's make it. this so clear. They don't need to worry at all about number two. Shiro is picking Jack Hughes. It's a guarantee. Lock it up. He like has connections to his family. There's a million reasons he's going to pick him. He's connected to, connected to American hockey. Like, yeah. He's, it's Bro, a, you know who's coaching fucking... Team USA right now? The team that Jack Hughes is playing for? Oh, who's that? John Hines. Oh, You know who John Hines coaches during the regular season? Hmm, no, tell me. The New Jersey fucking Devils. Oh, really? Like, like, yeah. Are we really overthinking this? The New Jersey Devils coach is already coaching fucking Jack Hughes. Imagine he's coaching Jack Hughes right now, and it's like, guys, you know what? That Finland guy, fuck him. I want him. There's, yeah. I want the, him all in my face. Everyone that's like, oh, the Devils are going to have a real hard. Nope. No, they're not. They've already picked Jack Hughes. Like, I know, I know people out there, and may, if, if this does happen, I'll have some serious egg, egg on my face if they pick Capacaco, because that would be what a heel turn. A uh, a Game of Thrones writers sort of heel turn. <laughs> more, oh more on that we'll later. Have later. More of that later. Yeah, we'll have thoughts later. Um, but uh, it would just be a situation where it would be like, oh, what? They like stab Jack Hughes in the back like that? There's no way they don't take him. It's already done. The the it's already been selected. They already have their pick is in. Every metaphor you could think of. Capocaco might as well just be a ranger. So get attached, get fall in love, and get ready because that's what we're getting ready to watch for the next how many years of our lives. Yeah, and it's fine. Again, if the Devils for some reason decide not to take Jack Hughes, absolutely, I would love to have slighted Jack Hughes in my life. I feel like that'd be a really fun storyline to play along with. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, absolutely if the Devils, would. See, this, this, this is the great situation we're in, right? Because if the Devils do what we expect them to do, which is take Jack Hughes, we're left with Capo Caco, who is phenomenal and going to be a force offensively for years to come. And if the Devils do the thing we don't expect, which is – not take Jack Hughes and take Capocaco. We're left with the unanimous number one pick in this year's draft, not even eight months ago. 
So life is good. Remember, the whole purpose of the season was to lose for Hughes. We wanted to suck to get Jack Hughes, and we did it. We did it. We we, we did suck, it. guys. We got we either sucked. Hughes or Capo. <laughs> we, we sucked. We sucked. We sucked just hard enough to get that pick, and it's it's going to be great. And it, the funny thing about it is, as high as we're riding right now on the fact that the Rangers are picking second overall, by this time tomorrow, we'll know where the Knicks are picking. And we know that oh, half the fan base is going to be on fucking suicide watch. I yeah. forgot the Knicks are picking tomorrow. Boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. just to get this out there now. I'm so sorry you got pick five. Like, that is really tough. <laughs> it's it's so tough to have Knicks fans get pick five after the first year they, they've tanked uh, it that way. Man. I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I, I think I'd rather have pick five. Because at least at five, you can no. start talking yourself into off-the-board players. Imagine the Knicks get pick four, and it's just like, oh, fuck, Cam Reddish. Cam, is, God, fuck. Wait, who, so Reddish. who's the top three? So it's uh, Zion, Ja. I, my, it, it, it's, it's Zion, Ja, and I got to think R.J. Barrett goes third. I don't see a scenario where R.J. Barrett isn't the third pick. Boy, having the fourth pick sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do like I like Culver from Texas Tech. We don't need to get into no, this. No, let's right not now. do but that. But yes, no. I would rather have five than four because at least at five, you can get creative about the guys you're scouting. Oh, you can at get four, also it's like, really fuck. sad, like super sad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> at, at four, it's like, fuck, I'm taking the third best player from Duke who wasn't even good this year. God damn it. Yeah. Nope, not good. Sorry, Knicks fans. If you do, meanwhile, get, the New York Rangers. If you do get Zion, though, boy, am I excited for you. Um, Ooh. Yeah, that's something else. All right. Meanwhile, the New York Rangers. I had this feeling this week that we weren't getting Artemi Panarin. I don't know why. Had a gut feeling just for a day or two. Kind of shook it off. Gonna wait. Gonna wait and see. I know his comments. He said nothing. I know Davidson's pretty much a lock to be the president of the Rangers at this point. Um, but yep. I just just had a bad feeling. So I'm gonna wait it out. I'm not, I'm not, I have no takes. Just wanted to throw out there. I had a bad feeling. That's all. Okay. Good. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Okay. I still don't. Cool. I'm Great. good. Uh, would you like to get to Are some... you going to, oh. I guess, I guess it's worth revisiting this. Are you going to be miserable if we don't sign Artemi Panarin? No, I think part of me is really excited if we don't, uh, which, which sounds stupid. You do want a great player like Artemi Panarin. I mean, I watched him in the playoffs. Phenomenal player. Just uh, an unending motor and seemingly, uh, uh, an offensive upside that's just almost unmatched in the league with the exception of like maybe six or seven players. So to have someone like that, you really can't say no to, but to pay someone like that $11 million feels pretty tough. Uh, and the end of the contract's not going to be nice, which you could say about any contract pretty much. But I think I would be just fine doing the rebuild, the quote unquote proper way of continuing to build and draft through these young assets and doing another year or two of the build. I really wouldn't, I wouldn't be too sad. I seriously wouldn't. Uh, but uh, I do want him. I don't want to be that guy that's like, I don't want our Trevor Panarin. And everyone everyone yells at you like, can you believe this guy wouldn't want one of the best players? Like, yeah, of course I want one of the best players. But I think building the correct way and, and through the draft is really how you become a dynasty, if that makes any sense. I wouldn't be – I'm like you, right? I'm not necessarily going to be catatonic if the New York Rangers don't sign our Temi Panarin. My fear is if the New York Rangers don't sign Artemi Panarin, they're just going to do reckless things. Yes, this so is the big fear. It's not, yeah, it's it's not so much that I'm Artemi Panarin or die. Because like you, I, I think there are a multitude of options available to the New York Rangers if they decide to forego the free agency market this entire year. Say the Rangers just want to roll it over one more year with the kids 
And then by year three of this project under David Quinn, go shop and get your guys, do what you got to do. Right. My fear is that the New York Rangers, it's almost like Jim Dolan expects to spend X amount of money this year. And he wants the Rangers to spend that money. And the best way the Rangers could spend that money is on a guy like Artemi Panarin. But if they don't get Panarin, I feel like they're still going to need to spend the money. And that terrifies me because the options after Panarin, we're talking, I, I, I mean, it's not just Carlson. Carlson will have its benefits very short term. And then long term, we got things to worry about. But imagine a scenario where like the Rangers are giving Jake Gardner an extra million dollars a year over six years because he's the third best player on the market or the Rangers are re-upping with Kevin Hayes at a price that's much higher than what they were comfortable with just 12 months ago because they need to quote unquote sign somebody or the Rangers lock into Tyler Myers, who we're going to talk with our friend uh, Murata Tesh coming up. Tyler Myers to me just is a very bland, good depth defenseman. Maybe, maybe that's being a little harsh on his talent. He's not a guy you want to be paying top pairing money, let alone top four money. He's a guy that will definitely make your defense incrementally better, but he's not a game changer. My fear is that if the Rangers don't get Artemi Panarin, they're still going to spend lavishly, and there just aren't players available to do that with. Not that – if you want to do it with Carlson, you can talk me into it. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to understand that – Say there's a player buyout that comes out of the next uh, CBA that's like a like a amnesty buyout. All right, fine. So it's basically a very high priced two year contract. That's great. But if if outside of Carlson and Panarin, I, I mean, get it out of our heads, right? The New York Rangers are not going to offer sheet anyone that costs them four future first round draft picks. So they're not going after Sebastian Ajo. They're not going after Braden Point. They're not going after Mitch Marner. Those guys don't exist, not realistically, not unless you're making a trade. So that's, that's my fear. My fear is not that the Rangers don't sign Artemi Panarin. There are plenty of situations where the Rangers don't and they can still be a fun team next year and be building towards the future. My fear is if they don't commit the $11.5 million to Artemi Panarin, they're just going to want to commit that money to other players, and that's where I get, that's where I get nervous. You mentioned James Dolan uh, and – him wanting to spend money. Well, uh, he might need some money for a lawsuit, so his stockholders are suing him. So we'll see how that happens. Uh, you know, he was in- fun. That, that, that lawsuit's funny to me, though. They're just like, James Dolan is an absent owner, and we need someone more hands-on. They're saying that as if it's a bad thing. I know. I think James, it, if anything, I would be suing James Dolan to be less involved. He's on right? the, he played, like, let's bring it down a notch, James. His band played in 33 countries last year. That's insane. <laughs> just i would just be like stockholders come on come on the, man Relax. Those, the msg properties just print money right the knicks haven't been good for yeah what do you do like you haven't made money like what are you talking about all they do is you're print doing money. great yeah you're doing great if, you, any, if anything if anything you want james dolan to do less not more yeah. so i'm very confused by their tactics what is wrong with them oh my goodness also uh, also msg who another property owned by james dolan Talk to us whenever you want. We oh, promise yeah. to lay off. It's you true. tell us when we need to lay it's off. It's true. And if you don't take my cup of cocoa idea, I'm seriously going to fight you. I, I don't know. Yeah. Having, your, having the Capo Capo cup of cocoa is the easiest money you've ever made in your life. 
Sylvanir Capocaco Cup says Cup of Coco has him holding the mug. It's so fucking easy. Make your money. Please give me some royalties. Thank you. Is this is this also a situation where MSG needs to introduce Panera Bread, but instead it's just Panarin Bread? Yes, it's so easy. It's so there's so many food puns that'll be on our T-shirt this summer. <laughs> so are we uh, just? Well, that's the thing. So we basically hate. Uh, well, no, we'll know we'll know the result of the draft by the. So our next shirt is what, July 1st, July 15th? Somewhere yeah, something there. like that, yep. So if, if Capo Caco was a New York Ranger, everyone's going to get a cup of cocoa shirt. Yeah, that's pretty much where I was thinking. I think that's what, where what was, what was the What was the product we put in our nose that one time? Oh my God, for, can we contact this for Choco, Coco Loco? Holy shit, I'm sending an email right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cocoloco.info. Hey, it's I, the guys from Blue Shirts Breakaway. Sign, was this a sign from two years ago when, when I snorted Coco Loco, that the Rangers were going to get Capo Caco? Oh, my goodness. I never put this together, but if we could get this the sponsorship, we got to do it. All right. I got I to gotta send an email. Uh, let's get to our, just, our five-star While, while, while we're talking about it, that shit was heinous. It was. It, the, the drip that Coco leaves down your throat is not fun. Not at all. No, it, it, was, like, it was like snorting coffee grounds. Pretty much. And then left a dark chocolate taste that was not pleasant in your mouth. Like, I like dark yeah, chocolate. Yeah, I almost threw up in the backseat of your car, I if remember. I remember correctly. Good, good times. There's a video out the there. The video is out there. Uh, we'll see if we post that. All right. I, fi- forgot, I almost forgot about Coco Loco. Man, who, who could forget? Four five-star questions. Wow. Uh, and then we're going to move on to uh, Murata Tesh and then come back and do some Game of Thrones. Because mm. you and I, we have a lot to talk about. We have thoughts. Yeah, we have thoughts. <laughs> All right. Five-star questions. This one's named Truba, five stars, from Farley C141. Hmm. If we get the Dallas first-round pick. Oh, wow. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, sorry. Uh, what trade scenario would you say to get Truba to the New York Rangers? Winnipeg's first, Dallas first, and Leas Anderson? Well, so we, we, we touched on this briefly with Murat, so I don't want to spoil all of it. But I, I'll say this. Um, there is a scenario... I don't think you can trade Winnipeg's first rounder back to them. I don't think that's, there's an appetite for that. But I, all I'm saying is there's a scenario where the Rangers are eating 50% of Kevin Shattenkirk's contract and they're attaching maybe Elias Anderson, maybe future draft picks to him as well. And you're starting to have yourself a little bit of a hockey trade. This next one, fan from Massachusetts by Bobby Callahan. Hey, guys. I love the podcast. Thanks, Bobby. I have two questions. The first is just for fun. If the Rangers were drafting third. Are you hearing my stomach, by the way? Was that your stomach? You've been hearing that, right? I just heard it right now for the first yeah, time. I don't know what it is. Are you okay? I'm not hungry. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm dying. It's the Coco Loco. You heard that though, right? I did. Uh, the first question he says, the first just for fun, if the Rangers were drafting third, then puts a question mark. I'm assuming he's asking, how would we feel or what would we do? Shitty. Bobby? <laughs> I feel bad. I feel real bad. Uh, let me put it this way. When the Rangers were announced to have the uh, to be in the top three, if it was the Rangers and not the Blackhawks picking third, I think I'd rather just pick sixth. Like, yeah. at, at that point, what the fuck is the I'd point? rather pick ninth. That's where I'm at. Uh, second, yeah. <laughs> second, who do you personally think, and I know it's early, but who do you think 10 years from now turns out to be the best player in the 2019 draft and why? Capo Caco, because the amazing development team of David Quinn and the New York Rangers. I, I, it's Jack Hughes because I think Jack Hughes is the best player. Like I wouldn't want to take Jack Hughes first overall if I didn't think 
he'd be the best player in this draft. Like it's a it's a slippery slope, right? I you obviously think or the NHL teams that are drafting would hope that stop saying Kevin. <laughs> piece of shit. Uh, whoever goes first overall is the bet to be the best player in this draft. So I would I would place my odds on Jack Hughes. And if the Rangers take Jack Hughes second overall, I'm still putting my odds on Jack Hughes. And you don't know someone uh, below all, both those players could be one of the best players in the draft. We've seen it happen before, and then they get eliminated in the first round against another inferior team. All right, uh, next question. Best Rangers podcast by Jeezy Money. I love this podcast. Thanks, Jeezy. I tried listening to others, and I just couldn't even listen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh That's God. not nice. Ooh, pulling my collar, That's not nice. but also a little turned on. Question. Can a, can a brother get a sheesh? Well, sheesh? Well, question. What do you think the chances are that management messes up this draft and picks neither Kako or Hughes? It's not zero. It's it's not like it's, it's not zero, but it's less than five percent. Correct. It, let me put it this way: the most, the most, um, fuck me. What is the word I'm looking for? The most charisma the New York Rangers Twitter account has ever shown has been retweeting Capo Caco highlights. Yeah. They never they they weren't out there retweeting Elias Peterson or Leas Anderson or Cody Glass or even Vitaly Kravtsov. They they don't retweet shit, right? They don't. They actually but they're don't smart care. enough to know that they 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 retweet the shit out of Capocaco. That's and all I'm saying. I, I, that's not that's not by accident. I've been shitty on Twitter for over a year now. In the last week, I've had two tweets blow up because I wrote Capocaco in them. <laughs> so uh, I yeah, think there's that, a market there. Yeah, it's it's. We don't need to think that like David Quinn and Jim Gort, uh, Jeff Gorton are the guys running the Twitter account, but we know damn sure the organization would say fuck no if the social media team said we want to put Capocaco's name out into the universe. How do you guys feel about it? Yeah, they'd say no. That's not our guy. We don't want it if they propose that. And yet we're getting we're getting emoji eyes. We're getting Twitter beefs with the New Jersey Devils. Life is good. I I would say it's a zero point zero zero seven percent chance. Double oh seven. The Rangers the would go off for that me? too. Okay. Um, yeah. Five star question. Last one by FBI two I remember him or her. FBI. Yeah. Oh. They've commented before. Great podcast. What's up? We didn't do it. Whatever it is, we didn't do it. Glove didn't fit. Can't quit. For sure. Uh, Great podcast. Not one, not two, but three exclamation points by by FBI 2.0. Thoughts slash opinions. That's a lot coming from the FBI. I know. For real. It's like not subtle at all. Thoughts slash opinions Mm. on trade scenarios for draft day. I think, uh, and I saw Drew Way, an an analysis, an analysis, an analyst for Bush's Breakaway. Talk about moving up in, in draft, and if there is somebody that falls to the uh, 16 or 15 range that the Rangers could use the Jets pick and another pick to move up and do that, uh, that you go get your player. And I really don't mind that. And I think we will be trading, or Jeff Gordon will be doing everything possible to get the guys he would like on draft day. Supposedly there were a bunch of trades in the past that just did not work out, and that's just how trades are. Uh, I'm very curious to yeah. see what happens, but we won't really know till the after the draft, which I know is a shitty answer, sorry. Right, and it's an e- it's e- it's easy to forget. And I mean, I, I don't know how many people have forgotten. We traded up to get Keandre Miller, so it's not like not the Rangers haven't traded up recently. Um, yeah, I think I, I, to me that's like a low level trade. Like I think it's something like if the Rangers traded the Winnipeg pick and the Stars pick 
according to pick values, that can get you as high as like 16. Um, if you wanted to throw another pick in there, you could probably get the 15 or 14. So there, there are some options to move up a couple spots. In terms of player deals in which the Rangers net even more first-round picks, I don't really see them. Uh, Nemestikov couldn't get you a draft pick last year. I don't see him getting you a draft pick this year. Strom is not the kind of player you draft. You trade draft capital for. Um, even Kevin Shattenkirk, it, 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 it doesn't feel like the Rangers would want to trade him for anything less than another NHL piece. At least they shouldn't be trading him for anything less than an NHL piece. So I, I, I think your, your draft day trades are kind of limited to the Rangers jumping from about 20 to 16 if they really like a guy. Um, like if, if everybody's favorite boy, uh, Dorofeyev, is there at 16 and the Rangers really want him, you have the picks and the power to go get him, which is great. They did it for Keandre Miller. They'll do it again. Um, but, yeah, I, in terms of the Rangers getting like that mythical third first-round draft pick, I don't really see a scenario, at least not one that doesn't involve trading Chris Kreider straight up for a draft pick. That's it for our five-star questions. If you out there in the land of podcasting want to leave a five-star question for us to read on the show every single week, you can go to our iTunes account, leave a five-star review, name it whatever you'd like as long as it's five stars, and put uh, whatever question you'd like in there, and Greg and I will read it on air and answer your question. Tune in next week to find out who asks. All right, let's go over yeah, to before, Murat. Before, oh. we go, before, before we get to Murat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I'm interrupting you. Yep, you are. I want to bring this up. Sure. Whoever the fucking idiot was Don't do that this. added me on Twitter asking you when you were going to start your own podcast because the grandpa interrupted grandpa, blah, 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 blah. All I want to say. Yeah. All I want to say. Mm-hmm. I want to say one thing. I want to say it loud. I want to say it clear. So you didn't like my burner account. Okay. I, I, I want to say, first of all, one, I know your burner account. Go cookie meat. Two, okay. I just want to say this. I just want to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Yeah. I knew that like, was coming. Fuck you. Yeah. Okay. Like, dick and face you. Cool. Uh, and That's it. And you know what? Uh, now let's go to our wonderful guest. Okay. Uh, no, I'm interrupting you. I just want to say thank you to that person. Okay. Appreciate my work. And uh, I, I did. I, I will say this. I was flying to Vegas when that happened, so I wasn't able to sort of uh, respond, but I was going to cut one of our episodes and just only have my audio and just send it over. <laughs> that was my fun. I was just like, here you go. There's my audio. Enjoy. Because uh, it is split anyway. Anyway, uh, I can't, th- can't think of how miserable that would be for someone. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Just thirty minutes of me. Who doesn't like that? And on that note, I'm going to start streaming on Twitch. So if you want to hang out with me while I play Magic the Gathering or other stuff, I'll be putting my schedule up on uh, my Twitter at some point. All right, bye. Uh, let's go over to Murata Tesh, and we'll come back to some Game of Thrones timestamps in the descriptions. Transition. Hey, we're back with one of our favorite guests of all time. We have Murat Atesh. He's from the Athletic. He's here to talk about the Winnipeg Jets and the Kevin Hayes trade. In hindsight, Murat, say hello. Hi, how's it going, everybody? Thank you for coming back. It's always a pleasure having you. One of our most humble and nicest guests of all time. So um, with all that said, how'd that Kevin Hayes trade work, work out for the Jets this year? Pretty good, huh? <laughs> um, I, I think that it's pretty easy to look at a first-round exit and, and see that Kevin Hayes didn't take over that series or have the impact that, say, you know, Paul Stastny did for Winnipeg a year ago. I think it's easy to look at all of that and, and call it a disappointment for Winnipeg. But the truth is, Kevin Hayes was a good player. He was exactly as advertised. He was a big man with good hands. He made key passes to good players. Um, he just about took over Game 5 against the Blues by himself, but accidentally swept away his own goal, which might have been a turning point of the series. I think he was exactly who Winnipeg uh, looked for. The pit might not have been there. The win might not have been there, but still a good player. 
Before we get too far into the pieces that came back to the Rangers, because I think that's always fascinating to look at in hindsight as well, do you think there's – I guess – what are the what's the percentage chance you would give of Kevin Hayes re-upping in Winnipeg? Is that something the Jets want to do? We're going to get into their cap situation shortly and how the Rangers could play a role in that. Do you do you see any avenue in which Kevin Hayes stays in Winnipeg? Uh, I think it's a pretty low chance. I'm I'm thinking twenty percent. You know, one of those things where it's it's possible. I, I'm sure that it would be worth exploring because the second line center situation in Winnipeg with Brian Little sort of beginning to decline and needing a little bit more help and Jack Rosovic not quite ready to step into that hole yet. Uh, there is some need there. So a full season of Kevin Hayes or a multiple-year extension of Kevin Hayes would be good on the ice. Winnipeg's cap hit situation being what it is, it just makes it really quite difficult. And there's extensions to Line A and Connor and then the Truba situation and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think that they'd like to address it that way, but his season might have priced himself right out of it. Now, the Rangers obviously do benefit from the Jets not having a good postseason because they get the 20th overall pick adding that on top of what the Rangers were able to see from Brendan Lemieux do you think it was the price the Jets were willing to pay is their buyer's remorse obviously it's easy to say the Jets didn't get what they wanted to get because they didn't go as far in the playoffs but we the whole reason we had you on the podcast before was to talk about this need that the Jets had and how Kevin Hayes so perfectly fit that need do you do do you think there's any remorse on the Jets' end? Was that a shot they, in hindsight, wish they didn't take? Well, I, I think that my perspective on this has always been evaluate the decisions based on the day that you made them. So on the day that that trade was made, yeah, a meaningful piece in Brendan Lemieux, who I see as a as a certainty for an NHL career. And then the, the question is, how high can he end up pushing up the lineup? Uh, I'm a little bit less bullish on him than, than some others would be. I'm, I'm taking more of an analytical perspective at it. Um, and uh, a first-round pick is always meaningful, but once you hit the 20 hole, you're no longer looking at a, at a guarantee by any stretch of, a, of an impact play or anything to that effect. It's a, it's a meaningful piece and a dear price. And Winnipeg was in a tough spot when they made that trade because Josh Morrissey had just been hurt. They'd spent some time without Dustin Bufflin as well. Morrissey's injury coming the night before that trade. They were in a difficult spot, and with the window and the cap situation being what it was, uh, that this season that just ended was Winnipeg's best window in terms of having value contracts with Patrick Kleine and Kyle Connor still cheap and many, many more, but those are big ones. So, I mean, I think that you can reasonably evaluate the decision to quote unquote go for it and, and still consider it in hindsight a good move. The results, I mean, that, that's just symptomatic and endemic of problems in Winnipeg throughout the rest of the season. Well, I want to go back to Kevin Hayes real quick. Uh, I, I didn't really get to watch the series. My bad hand up. Was there times where Kevin Hayes was playing on sort of the fourth line? I, I, I did hear some different complaints about the way he was being used in Winnipeg. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And in Winnipeg, the, the key uh, lineup situation was that Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler were going to anchor that top line along with Kyle Connor, and they were going to get meaningful minutes. Um, and then Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, and Brandon Tanev, who are a throwback checking line in that they can actually carry the play against uh, just about any good competition. They were sort of the, the, the anchored two lines, and then line two and line four were in flux throughout the entirety of the series. Um, and yeah, Kevin Hayes did end up on line four, sometimes playing 
tiny minutes, um, less than 12, less than 10 and things like this. Um, you'd want to look at the exact numbers. And it, it was a bit of a shock. And on one hand, it, it might be a, a sign that he didn't fit in and blend in and all those sorts of things. I also think that with Winnipeg's lines anchored as they were, uh, that sort of speaks to a bit of a coaching inflexibility to find to find room for him because there were moments when Hayes was um, was a phenomenal top six player in that series. And like I say, he just about took over game five all to himself. So, I was a little hurt that you didn't warn us more about Brendan Lemieux because he came to New York and I think the immediate reaction, us included, uh, we weren't thrilled with the level of player that we thought we were getting back in that deal. I will say the fan base definitely warmed up to him and he's got a, he, he plays like a pest, but not a reckless pest, if that makes sense. So I, I do think it's, it's funny in hindsight how the trade evolved from a Ranger perspective. The first round pick being what the first round pick is. I think everyone's always been very excited about that. We're all excited that the Rangers just about maxed out the possibility of that pick being in 20th overall. But Lemieux came over and won over the fan base in a way I don't I don't think Ryan or myself was prepared for. I don't think any Ranger fan was really prepared for. Yeah. Well, he was a fan favorite to a certain extent in Winnipeg, too, and it sort of depends on what you love about hockey. And He's a guy that skates hard. He hits hard. Um, I think you've already seen at least one fight from the guy. I mean, he's an exciting player to watch. By all means, he is. He also came out of the AHL and at his age with enough offense for you to believe that this isn't some sort of fourth-line grinder who's never going to play or never going to function into to good minutes despite the fact that he's got that physicality to him. So I can see from all angles, the sort of excitement about him. The, there's some, I, there were some moments in Winnipeg with some, some definite loss of discipline um, in Finland. That was a big one. It cost him a lot of games worth of playing time. That's going to be an ongoing issue for him. And I, I'm glad that it was a good first impression, but I, I can't see that being removed from his game entirely. Uh, and then I think that the hits and the fact that he has hands and the fact that he's such an exciting player do sort of overshadow a little bit of the defensive woes and stuff like that that you would expect from a player in that situation as well. He's going to be a guy that the eye test lovers just love. It's so fun to watch. And then the analytics folks might have a little bit of an issue with. I think I want to throw this to Greg. Greg, there's a player that you've been wanting on the Rangers for about two years now. Why don't you go ahead and start that, huh? <laughs> well, it's it's a complicated discussion. And, and Is it? Murad, I'm sure you're aware <laughs> the amount of times I've just spoken Jacob Truba's name into existence for the New York Rangers. But before we get into specifics, I, I think it's important we paint the whole picture. The Winnipeg Jets have a ton of cap room this offseason, but it's it's kind of fool's gold because you've mentioned Kyle Connor's name. He's got a big extension coming his way. Patrick Laine has an extension coming his way. Jacob Truba needs a new contract. Um, Josh Morrissey, not this year, but next year, needs a new contract. Tyler Myers is a free agent. Kevin Hayes is a free agent. So the Jets have a lot of options and avenues, but their cap space isn't exactly what it actually is, right? The Jets are entering a very complicated offseason. And I, I think the only guarantees we have, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle Connor is getting extended and Patrick Laine is getting extended. Everything after that, nobody really knows at this point, right? Yeah, I think that you summed it up absolutely perfectly. There is cap space to the eye that you look at now, but a large part of it is spoken for in those exact two guys' uh, um, situations and the extensions that they'll get, whether bridge or long-term, they're still going to be massive dollars. Um, and then the 
issue in Winnipeg is that there's this player named Jacob Truba, who is a phenomenal hockey player. He's a top pairing quality defenseman at even strength. He's put together a career season. He's 25 years old, did I mention? And he's just exactly the guy that you'd want to build around in an ideal circumstance. He probably is and pairs perfectly with Josh Morrissey on the top pair. They read each other well. It's an ideal situation. And I think that Winnipeg's plans moving forward in terms of what they do with that cap space depend almost entirely, I think, they hinge on what happens to Jacob Truba. So there's an argument. Could you go the Columbus route, hold on to your own free agent, go all the way through the season, lose him for nothing at the end? That's not palatable for a lot of folks. Uh, there's another scenario in which you find some magical way to mend fences to, to ideal to idealize a scenario where he is happy in Winnipeg and happy in Canada, despite his clear Michigan and, and, um, and North portion of the United States roots that his family has. Uh, I think that the trade is, is really quite likely. And I think that the return that Winnipeg is able to get, whether it's from New York or otherwise is, is going to de- determine what the rest of the offseason looks like. I think it's domino number one. I have, Are, so- is there any concern? Is there any concern on your end or management's end or anyone you've talked to? We just saw a situation where the New York Rangers essentially gave up their fourth best pick in this year's draft, which is considered a very good draft for a prospect that everyone knew was going to New York one way or the other. So the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes got anything from the Rangers was a win. Are you, is there worry in Winnipeg that Jacob Truba's agent or representative or himself could come out and say something like, look, I'm going to Detroit. That's it. Everyone else who gets me understand you're getting a rental. Is there worry that if the Jets don't act fast, that Truba can dictate his own market and therefore hurt his own asking price? You know, I think that if that were the case in Winnipeg and that Kevin Shoveldayoff was the sort to sort of pander to that sort of need, pander is not exactly the right word, but I think if that were the case, he would already be playing for an American market. I mean, that holdout in 2016, the situation that sort of continued out of that. Um, if, if that amount of assertion from Truba or his agent Kurt Overhart was, was able to, you know, tilt things in his favor, I think that we'd have seen it by now. I, I, I don't know what that means for his future, but I do think that most folks in Winnipeg expect that Truba will be traded by the draft. Winnipeg enters the draft with just three picks in the entirety of what you just called a, a deep draft. And Winnipeg known as a draft and development team. All this cap trouble that they have coming up. The idea of useful entry-level contract players coming out of a draft like this. I mean, I think everything points to that. And then if, if you're Winnipeg, the biggest problem is, well, how are you going to trade Truba, replenish the pipeline, get maybe a meaningful player and then treat this as a win-now season while all of your young scorers are in their prime, and maybe you have to give up some of those assets at the trade deadline just to get a player back to, to flesh out a defense that's, that's sort of beginning to show its cracks as, as time goes forward. It's such a tough spot, and I think that Winnipeg uh, has more on its plate than simple Truba's preferences in this, and it, I think there's going to be so many different moving parts in terms of what they want. I guess my question that uh, I was going to ask before, it's really very similar to Greg's in-depth and analysis can Jacob Druba play defense? Oh, heck yeah, you can. Oh, we Absolutely really want him. Can, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> we're going to do everything we can to get him from you, I think, at this point. But uh, like like Greg was saying, I think you guys are in a really tough spot. I, I say you guys like you're part of the team. Are you? Do you do, you do the Wii thing once in a while, like on accident? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, it might have slipped out of my mother every now and again, but the truth is uh, – I. 
I was born in Alberta, and my parents discovered hockey through a team that wasn't Winnipeg in the 1980s when the greatest of all time was playing. So I've never really done the Wii thing, um, despite my Winnipeg roots and identity. Got it. Because we do the Wii thing with the Rangers constantly, and then I realized, you know, we're not real journalists where you are, so I wanted to ask that question. But (laughs) it it is sort of a tough offseason, like you were saying, for the Jets, and I think think the Jets have a lot in store, especially with their cap, like Greg said. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge for sure. Pardon me, I interrupted you. Go hit me with it. What were you saying? No, I, I got, so I have, I have two more questions Truba-related, basically, to ask. The one is the, the return in the Truba trade. Do you think – it's not hard to envision at least one first-round pick coming back, but we've heard talks this offseason, not just from the Jets or the Rangers, but how, quote-unquote, hockey trades are going to be very popular. One of the – fantasy deals that I've done in my head as a Ranger fan is I, it seems like there's a, a possibly pairing where the Rangers would send a Chris Kreider to Winnipeg in some machination of a Jacob Truba deal. Do you think the Jets would want a Chris Kreider in a Truba deal? Would they, do they want more low rent players? I mean, Kreider is entering the final year of his contract. Would it make sense for the Jets to trade an expiring young asset for an expiring older asset, even if that older asset fills a need that they may have. Yeah, I understand the argument for that. And good players are good players. Good players at low prices are are always a good situation. I think in that situation, Winnipeg was MB pressed to figure out what it was going to do with, uh, with the forward depth that it has. And you might be looking at uh, a young player like Kyle Connor or, uh, or Nick Ehlers being shipped for defensive help elsewhere. I, I don't think Winnipeg's biggest needs are up front. Uh, whether Truba were to stay or not, whether Tyler Myers left as an unrestricted free agent this summer or not, I think the biggest thing that Winnipeg can do this offseason is figure out what its defense looks like long term. So from my perspective, I think that for Winnipeg, it's either going to be about replenishing draft pick pipeline sort of situations or in an absolutely perfect world, and I'm not sure if this is something New York's well-equipped for, um, a version of a top-four defenseman, whether old, um, a younger, B-grade version of Truba, et cetera, because there are going to be a lot of opportunities on Winnipeg's blue line, and they're going to be counting on rookies and young players and sophomores and, and journeymen to, to fill that spot uh, as, it, as it looks from, from here today. I'd love to talk you into a Kevin, a lightly used Kevin Shattenkirk, if you'd have me. Oh, um, man. But the other, the other player that Ranger capologists have talked about, because there are other avenues that the Jets can go in order to keep all, all these players. And one of them is keeping Jacob Truba and trading a contract that is less, um, less of an appetite for most teams. And the, na- the, the player's name who we hear the most is Matthew Perot. Do you see a scenario where the Rangers – Maybe don't, they don't get involved with Truba, but is there something the Jets could give the Rangers that would make eating the rest of Perot's contract, which I think is around $4.5 million over the next two years? Is there, is there a way that – do you see the Jets possibly doing something like that where they attach a future asset to Perot's contract in order to open up even more cap space? I think Winnipeg has shown that it's willing to attach assets to contracts to move them in the past, and you saw that with Steve Mason and Yoel Armia heading to Montreal last summer. Um, I think that if they would be looking to do that with Matthew Pro, it would be a pretty big mistake on that part. Uh, There are lower hanging fruit in terms of cap savings in Winnipeg, um, and uh, Tyler Myers being one example, Dmitry Kulikov being another example, and the idea 
that a player who's still a possession positive player, uh, still roughly 40 points in 82 games. That's kind of the pace that he's on. Um, they're clamoring in Winnipeg to keep a, a really exciting, fast uh, shot blocking player named Brandon Tanev with offense that just slides in under that, um, despite uh, different opportunities as well. So I think Matthew Pro is still a useful enough player and should be uh, acknowledged for that, despite. Um, being pushed down the lineup as he has been in, in recent times. If Winnipeg were willing to pay an asset for that uh, to, to, to just to offload him, uh, I think it would be a mistake on the Jets' part. That said, I'm certain that that the, they would consider the idea of moving him, period, as a concept, that he'd be an available player to plug into a, to a middle six type of role on most teams. I just, the more I, the more I think about it, I just, I bet the Rangers, if they eat money on Shattenkirk, that they can convince the Jets that you're getting a Truba light player offensively for the next two years, and you're going to lose Truba no matter what after next season. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I also just like talking myself in the ways that Jacob Truba plays for the New York Rangers because <laughs> you? he does his thing good defensively, and I would like to see good defensive players on the Rangers. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's it, – Murat, you're in for a hell of an offseason. I know that because <laughs> you're gonna you're you're gonna be at the front lines figuring all this stuff out for everybody. And there's so many possibilities with the Jets that it's exciting, but it's also if I was a Jet fan, I'd be absolutely petrified of what this offseason <laughs> could be. I think so. At the Athletic, we did a season ender and uh, who could stay and who could go. And I think that the, the trepidation building in Winnipeg, because there are so many important pieces like that, is it's, it's a real thing. There's a real concern. Um, and, and yeah, I got to ask you, though, because it's a ignorance on my part. What hand does Kevin Shattenkirk shoot? He's a, he's a righty. He's a... Well, see, that's, that's convenient. That, you could actually begin to make that argument in Winnipeg that uh, a Jets team that's moved to a Josh Morrissey, Dustin Bufflin top pair um, could take some of the minutes off of Dustin Bufflin's top power play time given to a Kevin Shattenkirk and allow Bufflin to continue to be a workhorse uh, and allow the power play to continue with those right-handers that Blake Wheeler has the option to shoot to. There is an argument. If you want to really start to massage stuff, uh, I, I, I want to give you that little bit of hope that, uh, that you might have. I would absolutely love start to massaging some stuff with you, Murat. That sounds like a great <laughs> night for me. <laughs> oh my goodness oh, miles and miles all right well, well i think we've covered everything we needed to on that point um why don't you plug your stuff and we'll yeah, let, we'll let you get out of here yeah get the hell out of here <laughs> so <laughs> p- p- tell us your twitter and then we'll get out of here oh hey it's wpg marat uh that's my twitter wpg m-u-r-a-t and that's me claiming my space as the only marat in winnipeg try me there he is <laughs> a recurring guest yes. Thank you so hey, much. We, um, I don't know if Ryan did, but I read I read your stuff with um, I did not. Joe Smith down in Tampa today, along with you and Shana teamed up with that. I just want to say that's a hell of a piece. And if people want to see what Braden Point might be have to do this offseason, uh, your your work is all over that. So that's that's fun stuff. Money. All right, hey. man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. No problem. Talk to you soon. They never do. All right, we're back, and mm. Marat is a gem. Very easy to say mm-hmm. that. Uh, puts, mm-hmm. puts a smile on my face. This is the part of the podcast where I warn you that we are, we'll be talking about Game of Thrones spoilers. If you're not watching Game of Thrones, good for you, man. <laughs> You've done a great thing. You've avoided some real pain and hardship. But 
If you would like to follow me on Twitter, I am O-H Ryan Mead, O Ryan Mead. If you'd like to follow Greg, he runs the official account for Blue Shirts Breakaway. It's at Blue Shirts Break. Greg has hit 2,500 followers this week. Congratulations, Greg. And uh, How'd that happen? All natural, by the way. No buying followers, no follow, follow back. Just word of mouth. And we really appreciate that, that we're all natural guys. Just two all natural dudes. Try to get to 1,000 this week. We'll see what happens. Probably not. All right, uh, we're going to talk Game of Thrones now. Spoilers start in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Gregory, Game of Thrones is mm. fucking terrible. And I got to no, tell you, I, I, oh, man, I don't even know how to start this. The last couple weeks of watching Game of Thrones has been an event, right? It's been, everyone shut the hell up. I'm, I'm turning all my lights off. I'm getting like in a blanket. I've got food, drink, and it's, my phone's on silent. I'm not talking to anybody. Yep. This week, yep. I, I second screened it. And I, I looked at forums as it was going on. I cannot tell you how upset I am about literally everything on this show. Every direction they chose, every decision they made. I think when we first started talking about Game of Thrones at the beginning of this season, as we've done for three seasons of Game of Thrones on Bush's Breakaway, which is insane. Uh, I said, I just want things to be earned. That's all I want. At the yep. end of the day, I want things to be earned. Now, do I hate that Danny's the Mad Queen? No, I do not. I think that's I. Go I love it. It it's. Yep. But I I just want to say I love it, and then I want you to continue your rant because yep. I'll I'll go into mine soon. I I love it too. I think that Danny being the Mad Queen makes total sense. Her arc comes this way, but the transformation was too quick. It happens too fast. The way they do it is wrong. The, Danny goes from uh burning a child in marine and crying about it for three days to fuck it. I'm not going to the red keep to end this war right now. And I'm going to burn all the innocent children I can. And it's just out of Danny's character because John, well, just truly didn't lay the dick down. And I don't understand why he wouldn't. Cause I've seen Amelia Clark, but I get it in the moment. She goes totally off the deep end. She lost all of her friends. I totally get it. It still feels unearned. Speaking of unearned, the unearned deaths of Jamie and Cersei, where Jamie's character arc comes full circle where he comes back to Cersei and is now like he's always the person he used to be. Congratulations, Game of Thrones. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to end, but you killed two of the most compelling characters of all time in any science uh, fantasy ever by rocks. The Valonqar prophecy was rocks. That was it. They were falling down. It would be safe down there. It is not. You killed Cersei and Jamie Lannister, Jamie, who I consider one of the best characters, Cersei too, one of the best characters ever in science fiction history and just absolutely give them a totally underwhelming and normal death and maybe that is thrones and maybe that's what thrones is about but in this case that was so unsatisfying for me that it almost made me throw up because to have jamie go back maybe jamie does go back to cersei in the books when the books eventually do get released and the rumors are that might be soon who knows it's probably a lie but to have jamie go from i'm a new man i have changed brand i'm not that person anymore to two episodes later it's always been us and it's always us cersei how did we get there? He went from banging Brienne to being happy to being a changed man to protecting the living. I'm slamming my fist on the table because I'm so angry. To coming back and being like, okay, Cersei, it's just us. Everything was unearned. John was useless this season. Oh, and by the way, yeah. but I'm, I'm still going. I'm sorry. I'm pulling a grip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he and by the way, when when John when he's hugging Cersei as they're like together, he doesn't have a gold hand on. His regular hand is there. Oh my god! I know that's a nitpick, but it's so ridiculous. And there's while, just while, while we're on Jamie, while yes. we're on Jamie, okay. I think this is important okay. because I, I I know where your anger is coming from. You've been 
one of the big Jamie boys that I know my entire life. You've all in on this character, and his arc is fascinating pre this season, right? Mm -hmm. But his decisions before this episode still made some sense in some way because we, we go back seasons ago when Jamie has his big long monologue about, you know why I am the Kingslayer? You know why I did it? I did it to save innocent people from a madman. And that's been his whole thing. So that's that that's what makes sense when Jamie goes north to fight a fight that the love of his life, his sister, doesn't want him to fight. We get it because Jamie's whole ethos is protect the innocent. Uh, my children were innocent. They deserve a better they, – they didn't get the life that they had because of decisions we made. Protect future generations from doing it. Protect my next kid from making the same mistakes. That's been his whole thing. That's why at the end when he's just like, yo, Cersei, you're the only thing I've ever cared about. That doesn't make any fucking sense. That makes right? no sense. Like you, you can like this episode in a vacuum, I guess. You can make the point. But the reason why a lot of people, you and me especially, because the people who listen to this podcast apparently give a fuck what we think about Game of Thrones. It's, the thing we're angry about is the actions that are being taken in these episodes do not make sense in terms of everything we've been told previously. And I'm not talking about books. I've never read a fucking book in my life. Any book. I've never read a single book. That makes sense. Books do not exist. That checks. Um, <laughs> but we were told in the show, Jamie told us himself. He's like, I'm the Kingslayer because I killed a madman from hurting innocent people. And now in his final breath, he says, the only thing I've ever cared about in this world, not innocent people, is you. We just know that to not be true. Yeah. We've been given source material to know this isn't true. We knew it wasn't true three episodes ago. That's the craziest part. They do these things where they set up, like, in the season. Okay, um, at the Battle for Winterfell, right? Davos, I'm not a fighter. Two, two seconds later, I'm ransacking the city with John. <laughs> what? How did that happen? Like, there's just so many of these turns where characters just don't make sense. And... Um, okay, Arya riding down with the Hound uh, on the King's Road to to King's Landing. We've seen how long that takes. It was a season once. It was a whole season to get down the King's Road. Teleports there, and right before they're about to, he's about to go like outside the door, like the final boss room. He's like, "Are you sure? Hey, man, you sure you want to do this?" And he's like, "You know that that scene doesn't bother me though, right? That's because... the best scene of the whole episode, Greg." That's the best but, part of it. I know, it's a, it's a great scene, but like people were nitpicking. It's like, what, he, he couldn't have had this talk while they were on the road? It it doesn't bother me that much because I don't think either Arya or the Hound could have thought that Danny was going to go fucking mad. And by going mad, they knew that if they stayed in that building any longer, like the building wouldn't be there anymore. So uh, a uh, an obstacle was presented that neither of them could forecast. So I don't mind that conversation happening right there in that moment. It, it it doesn't bother me because there were scenarios where, you know, Arya could have killed Cersei and gotten out of that building all right if there wasn't a dragon literally carpet bombing the entire Red Keep. But that, that situation no longer existed. So then it created a conversation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So that, that scene doesn't bother me. That scene was great. That situation doesn't bother me. Like that's not a that's not a pick I'm going I'm going to knit. It's fine. That one's fine. The big ones for me, we already talked about Jamie and how apparently he didn't have a career uh, a character arc. You you mentioned Danny. I we were getting to the Mad Queen one way or another, right? It's been there since season one. Mm -hmm. We know this exists. It's the whole reason she makes irrational decisions in rational moments. So we we knew we were eventually getting here. The problem is we had this beautiful arc that Danny was on and we got 
we just started to come down from the apex. And instead of having a natural flowing arc to its conclusion, we just fell off a cliff and we skipped right to the end. And it just, like you said, it doesn't feel earned. Her decision, we're not shocked that Danny made that decision. It's just shocking that a show that so carefully built up to specific moments in earlier seasons decided that we're done building, even though the building isn't complete. This is good enough for us. People aren't going to live above the 50th floor, even though this building has 150 stories. They're just not going to get there because we're very satisfied with those first 50 stories. And that pisses me off. The other thing that pisses me off, and it's a question I asked you, I don't know if you saw it because I don't remember if you reacted to it in our super private Facebook group. So the whole thing, we're like, if you hear the bells ring, don't go in there. Yep. I have a question, yeah. Ryan. Mm-hmm. Who fucking rang the bells? Okay. Who did it? Not only that, how did Kyber know that all the scorpions were burned? How does he, does he have like the internet? Is there like, did a bunch <laughs> of ravens come back and be like, all the scorpions are burned? I don't, did someone run back and be like, hey, all they're all gone now. I don't, I don't understand. How did he know? And yeah, I just, how did Euron show up on a people. beach at the exact same time as Jamie Lannister? <laughs> That is fucking wild. Also, who gives it? Like, why are those two fighting? What is the what purpose of Euron? Yeah, Jamie Lannister's is like, bro, we got to go save Cersei. Why is Euron's first thing not being like, dope, great idea. That's and, my woman. And why like, is fight it, about it after the fact? And why does it Jamie after he takes the sword out of her be like, that's my fucking kid, by the way? Like, that's the only cool line you could say there. Ugh. I just, the, the Bells thing pisses me off because someone from work was like, well, wasn't it Jamie? Here's the thing. We don't know if it was Jamie. If it was Jamie, we should have seen it, right? I That's the whole thing. Don't think it was Jamie. The, cut, the corners they're cutting I, from last episode. I still don't understand why we didn't see the conversation between the Starks about John's lineage. I don't understand why we didn't see the conversation between Sansa and Tyrion. They're cutting out these these moments, thinking like, "Oh, we can just be like transition." Who rang the bell? It, it clearly wasn't Cersei, right? Because if it was Cersei, she gets the fuck out of the Red Keep, but she doesn't. She's just standing there like, oh, what the fuck is happening? My point is, like, there's so many characters that, like, have done nothing. Bran, where you at, dude? You're going to walk into a dragon? Just can you please Second to last episode of the entire series and we don't see Sansa Stark? Yeah, very strange. Very strange. Um, I, the other thing that really pissed me off, and again, this could be more of a nitpick, but it's like, you're on a dragon, right? Mm-hmm. I, I get that you're pissed off about life. And you want to burn everybody. And that's cool. And that's great. But the objective was to kill Cersei. You know where she is. It's the red keep. You have a it's dragon. It's literally red in the keep. Dragon, dragon breathes fire. Dragon clearly now can also blow up buildings. How? I don't know. But he's blowing up buildings now too. You know where she is. I, I get that you want to commit genocide. That's great. I've seen it. It's interesting. Weird life choice. I'm not here to judge you. Before you commit the genocide though... Maybe finish the objective first. Maybe, kill the queen. Maybe go then ahead. Burn and, everybody else. You know, kill the queen first and make sure she's. You dead. know where she is. Yeah. You know where she is. And Kyburn's like, hey, she knows where you are, and there are no scorpions. There's nothing to defend you. I wonder what happens next. And the thing that happens next is nothing. <laughs> the dragon just goes about killing fucking Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Aaron Rodgers was more important to the dragon's quest than the whole reason we're in King's Landing, which is Cersei. And also, John's like, insane. Yeah, she I, and. Okay, so they had to kill a dragon with scorpions last episode to make it easier. And then they made the, the fight the most one-sided fight of all time. The golden of co- all the, time. The golden company was supposed to be 20,000 men. There were easily only 500. And they introduced that character pretty much just to kill him. 
And that was it. They're like, here's the goal of the company. People that read the books, they're all dead now. It was like one shot. It was amazing. And then like, yeah, that's the thing. They went out of our way to tell us that this fight is going to be incredibly even because all we have is one dragon. And then it's just like, by the way, all we need is one dragon. They didn't need anyone else. Yeah. Did anyone like? I, I know other people killed other people because they had to get all rapey. But at the same time, if it was just the dragon, fight's over. <laughs> that was it. No one picked up a sword and killed anyone. But, before but the it's, it's crazy how they almost killed everybody. An episode ago, they were like, "Okay, these scorpions could kill a dragon." Okay, and then this episode was like, "Nope, actually, the whole city loses to one dragon." All right, Drogon is bigger. He's just a bigger dragon. <laughs> That's all it, it is. It's, it sucks, man. It sucks, and it, it sucks because the buildup to this was flawless, right? It was. It was flawless for like the first five seasons, and everything else after that is no. Kind of, even season six kind of is really good. The when when Cersei blows up the Sept is one of the best episodes on TV. Just period. She kills like a bunch of characters. Oh, it's, it's great. That's it. That's season six. What my point is, like, and I was talking to somebody last night. It's it's like, it's like the guy who's giving a presentation in your class, and like everyone knows it's bad, and he knows it's bad too. And they're still he's still trying he's still up there giving this presentation like trying to get out there and like he knows he's gonna get bad grades but he's still up there like trying his best and like no it's good right guys and it's just not the case there, there's nothing I don't, I, go on I don't think I don't think that's it's to build off that example I think it's more of here here are the guys that prepared their fucking asses off for this presentation and they're fucking crushing it but what they're realizing is they only had an hour to give this presentation and 50 minutes into this presentation they realized Jesus fucking Christ. There's so much more I have to do, and I don't have time to do it. Except the difference being there is no time limit on this presentation. You're only rushing yourself. Nobody is asking for this show to end. Nobody is saying it costs too much money. Nobody is saying that it can only be X amount of seasons and X amount of episodes. HBO, Nobody has said that. HBO wanted to have it be 10 seasons in season six. They're like, we want 10 seasons. 10, 10, 10 episodes. Ten, no, 10 seasons and 10 episodes each. That was the whole deal. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. They wanted they saying. wanted 10, 10 seasons, 10 episodes. So it would be a 100-episode show. And HBO was like, we're doing it. And D&D uh, were like, no way. We're not doing that. And then they did the six for the last two. I don't know why they took two years to film this this last season. I don't really, other than the fight scene, I don't really know what they were filming. They filmed a lot crazier shit in, in shorter amounts of time. I don't really. Yeah, care. I, I, I also, and this isn't an original thought from you or me. This is from the binge mode podcast. I just don't understand why they didn't want a hand to show off. You can still slap your name on it and collect royalty checks while oh, that you was do a, other things. That was a Jason text uh, tweet today, right? Yeah, Jason Concepcion tweeted that out. It's a great point because there are other people in the writers' room who care deeply about this shit. It's not just Benioff and Weiss. Anyone. Could have done this. Well, not anyone. I get it, but they had the the tools in that shed to in order in order to build this show to its rightful conclusion. And for whatever reason, they just decided, now nah, we're good. Can you we imagine like a, a real Mad Queen turn with like a serious buildup? Like yeah, how dude, be insane. fucking sick it would be. It'd be insane. I again, I I love that we got Mad Queen. Mad Queen is great. That's a natural conclusion to where Danny's arc was. The problem is. There was only 65% of Danny's arc complete. And they're just like, nope, last 35% didn't matter. We're good. Here we are. It's Seriously, though, under, I really am pissed off that we don't know who rang the fucking bells. And it's an important point. It's an important point. If it was just like a commoner who rang the bells, 
You get why Cersei stayed in the Red Keep a little longer. You get why Jamie is still trying to get to Cersei. You get why all these things are happening. But the bells are ringing, and we're just like, oh, the bells are ringing. Yet no one's asking the question as to why the fuck are the bells ringing? Okay. Uh, also, why the fuck can Dragonfire now explode I, buildings? I'm still stuck on. Well, it exploded the wall. To be fair, so I mean that does sort of. That's help. that's a building. Last I checked, a wall is a building. That's true. It did it did do the whole wall thing. Jon Snow's done nothing this season, and it kills me. And I haven't seen Jon Snow really like wield a sword and like have a sword fight. I feel like they've really cut down on the choreography this season. Again, I'm nitpicking, but. Uh, John, just in general, like, was brought back from the dead to get the army to help Arya. Like, didn't one v one the Night King? Like, can you just give me like a three minute scene where he one v ones the Night King? Like, I, I know I'm still complaining about that. It's just like insane. And now John is still like done nothing. And then all of a sudden, all these northern guys who were just fighting the undead and like protecting the realm from certain destruction, like. I don't know. They got real rapey real quick. Yeah, they started killing women and children. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, uh, guys, what? Weren't we just honorable North people a couple minutes ago? Oh, is this for Ned Stark for, like, ten years before this? I don't understand. I don't get it. It just, it just, yeah, they got, the writing bothered is, me. That, I, that, that bothered me, and that shit doesn't usually bother me, because I get it. It's like a fantasy world, and yeah. if you think back to, like, if, if this is supposed to be based on, like, medieval times... Raping and pillaging, very common. Right. This isn't necessarily like they weren't creating the situation. That situation has happened multiple times in history, like real actual things that happened. Fucking King Edward the Second history, shit right. like that. Right. The, At the, the same time, the raping felt really unearned for some reason. It, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, these northern guys that are just like out of fucking nowhere. Like we're just we're all just like Jon Snow's army and like loyal and like we're like he's like we're gonna defend people so people can live and we're defending the, we're defending life that's what we're defending and they're like okay now that we've killed death we can also kill life ourselves <laughs> it's like what I don't yeah, really I, understand and I, I I guess we can end on this note because okay. I'm curious where your thoughts are sure. as to who sits on the throne at the end okay they fucked this season up so much that yeah. I feel like nobody can sit on the throne I can't say like, uh. What I haven't read the spoilers. I want to be very clear. You I, saw the odds, though. I saw the odds, and I listened to binge mode. Um, and they talked about it at the beginning of the season. And I, I don't want to give it away just in case it's true. But if the if it is true for what what the odds were for the beginning of the season, I just don't get it. I don't understand. And I'm gonna have a lot to say next next week. So I would I agree with would, you. The, by the, the way, log, the only quote unquote logical. I haven't read the odds. I'm probably not going to. And you know what the sad thing is? I'm not going to read them, not because I don't want to get spoiled. I'm mm-hmm. not going to read them because I don't care enough anymore. There you go. Like it's it's not worth sad. the five minutes out of my day to do the search for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would go the most logical conclusion from what they've done this season is no one li- stays on the throne. They destroy the throne. Everyone lives hap- as happily ever after as possible. I think John. The second one I would say is is John. Um, but I I don't know. The only dialogue they give John this season is I don't want it. So at some point, like, cool. Uh, the third, I would guess, is Sansa because maybe if John and Danny have their big final duel, both of them die, and then Sansa just waddles on in and goes, "Hi, it's me, I'm Sansa." Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are the only three, and I guess the fourth one being Danny. If the show really just wanted to be like, "Aha, we told you, no happy endings." Blah blah blah. This is life. Danny's queen. She got a dragon. Uh, uh, well, I can't say anything, but. It's just, I wish they did game more. Remember when, like, uh, Kit Harrington, we were like, oh, wow, Kit's come a real long way as an actor. It's unbelievable. And now they give him no, nothing to work with all the time? Awesome. Uh, yeah, best work Kit Harrington's ever done is still, uh, was it Seven Days in Hell? 
Yeah, really good. All right, uh, we're that out of here for this week. That this episode made me so I could go on for another forty minutes, but we're not going to. Uh, Don't need it. My stomach is making noises still. Follow us on Twitter, Elrimeed and Blue Shirt Break. See you guys next week. Love you. Make sure you get your five star questions in. Bye. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.00% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash specials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.